Welcome to Cyanotopia, a podcast celebrating cyanotype and the artists who use cyanotype in their art making. Each episode features a long-form interview with an artist who uses cyanotype in their art making. The artists talk about what they make, why they make it, and how they make their work. My name is Marilyn Krasner, and I make each episode of this podcast. I wanted to make a podcast about cyanotype because I have been having an intense love affair with cyanotype, and I think it's natural when love is still fresh to want to talk about it a lot. My mom died unexpectedly in April 2021. If you've been through a big grief, you might understand my need for distraction, and I am very grateful that I discovered cyanotype a month or so after my mom died. Cyanotype has been my companion during this time, a lifesaver for me, a brain saver, a joy maker. I'm also a mom and I love that I can show my kids that art doesn't have to be stay within the lines perfect. It is beautiful even when it's uncontrolled, messy, and water gets everywhere. And this podcast is my way of honoring cyanotype and a gift to the cyanotype community and the creative community all over the world. Even if you're not using cyanotype, I think the interviews will resonate because the artists I speak to in these episodes are so interesting. If you want to support the artists you hear on this podcast, please refer to the show notes and find out how to buy their art. I've listed their websites and social media information, along with a list of links to artists, books, and websites that they mentioned during their interviews. You can find the show notes for each episode in your podcast app or on my website, www.marilynkrasner.com. That's M-A-R-O-L-Y-N-K-R-A-S-N-E-R.com. And please keep making your art. The world needs your art. And it's okay to make art even when times are really hard because you're a human and really... It's one of the best parts about being a human being, I think. This episode features a conversation with artist, photographer, and academic Jonathan Kay. Jonathan is based in the lower North Island of New Zealand, and we talk about his intrepid and extreme <laughs> process for putting a couple big projects together. Enjoy the show. My name is Jonathan Kay. I'm a photographic artist based in Wellington. And my practice looks at landscape and how we kind of can articulate the, the unseen forces in different landscapes. And I do that through a variety of kind of different kind of photographic methods. And I also teach photography at Massey University here in Wellington. How long have you been a photographer? I've been working with photography since I left high school and then, yes, yeah, so I've kind of been doing that since I was kind of 19 and then I, when I started my undergrad, yeah, so a long time ago, over 15 years. In my undergraduate degree, we had this really cool uh, technologies paper and you pretty much got to investigate any kind of photographic methodology you wanted and at the time we had this crazy uh, UV 
I think it was from a textile department, this massive kind of machine um, that was in this room. And when you turned it on, if you didn't get, if the fan wasn't running, you actually blew the whole electrics for the whole building. So it was really extreme. And so you had to kind of put your cytotype down and it was had a vacuum kind of seal and you'd kind of run out, close the door. And it was like a atomic bomb went off the amount of light that came off of it. So you had to be really careful because it would damage your eyes and things. So you had to get your timers, timings quite um, right and couldn't just run in there and stop it. So that was my first experience of cyanotypes. Um, yeah, and I just, I just really enjoyed the process, like how you actually get to actually physically coat your paper and work with it and how it's quite temperamental getting your exposure right and just thought that was quite fun and so but yeah it wasn't until 2017 that I came up with the, this, the current kind of project that I'm working on and thought that cyanotype would be would work really well for that so that's my ice field work and that's yeah so it's kind of using large-scale cyanotypes and pressing them or rubbing them up to surfaces of the glacier in 2017, uh, I got a Creative New Zealand grant to go down to the South Island and survey two glaciers, Fox and Tasman. And yeah, I kind of came up with this crazy idea that I would coat uh, a linen in cyanotype liquid and then see if it, we pressed it up to portions of the glacier, so like crevasses or kind of the canyons or like the arches. How, how, when you actually have that kind of contact, would it actually leave a mark and what would that kind of look like? And so, yeah, we flew onto the, the glaciers um, with a lot of kind of planning and a lot of crazy kind of, yeah, it's just like insanely kind of trying to organize everything to fit on a helicopter. Yeah, and then we made these, these kind of images. How much material did you take with you? I was very ambitious. So. The whole project we did, uh, I think we did 11 um, sheets on Tasman and then the rest. So I think I got up to 29 and uh, just over 2.2 meters long and 1.2 meters across. So they, they're quite big to work with. Um, and that was kind of a bit of a challenge not only in coating them and trying to get them dry in time, but also actually kind of pressing them up. I wanted them to be, to respond. A glacier is kind of this massive, almost like alien-like landscape. And I really wanted the, the size to reflect, um, yeah, the, the size of the landscape, you know, to, to really kind of have that kind of imposing kind of nature to it. But yeah, that mean that we had to kind of work with frames and like to try and tie them to the, the glacier to kind of press them. Um, so it was actually a very kind of physical process of kind of trying to push these um, sheets and these frames up to portions of the glacier. What's your time period that you're working in? On Tasman, we actually got to, I, me and my dad and the guide, we actually stayed on the glacier. So we kind of had two days to kind of figure it out and it was actually really good so we did that trip first and Tasman as a glacier it's it's really massive it holds 
a third of all glacier ice in New Zealand, but it's this big monstrosity almost like comes down and it's just huge. Um, but, and it has a lot of water in it, but it doesn't have that, that kind of, maybe that classical glacial kind of um, landscape because it's kind of a gradual kind of sloping um, one. But so there wasn't actually that, we actually kind of struggled a little bit to find actually places to do it because it's kind of just a big slab of ice. And so we kind of honed our skills a little bit. And then when we went across uh, to Fox, we had just one day and we bashed out the, the rest of them. That's kind of where we made the majority of the, the cyanotypes. But that's big a little bit in response to the landscape because as Fox comes down, down the mountain, it turns like a corner and all the ice kind of crushes up. And so it's kind of dramatic landscape. And so there's a lot of opportunities to put uh, the same types in and against things or press them. Um, yeah, where that was a little bit more difficult on Tasman. So can you describe a little bit of the texture or what were you looking for? Like what elements in the texture? of the space were you looking for? I think the ones that worked the, the best were the ones that had the most kind of contact. So whether they were kind of draped over the ice or the ones that I'm quite happy with, it's where the ice kind of overhangs. And so you get, we could slide the, the cyanotype under and had like dripping water it was also in contact with the ice but also that the the sun was quite good at kind of like making kind of definite kind of patterns on it as well so yeah it's kind of a, it's a the whole exposure process is kind of interesting because there's the sun so the sun's exposing the cyanotype kind of emulsion but also because the water is there and it, I didn't really realize this until we got onto a glacier that glaciers are really wet. There's dripping water everywhere. I thought it would be a little bit more dry. And so that was kind of really interesting because that started to make patterns on the, on the cyanotypes as well. And we know that usually you have a cyanotype and you paint it onto a piece of paper and then you dry it in, in the kind of the dark and then you can take it out and you expose it in the sun and then you wash it in water. But when that process of uh, developing, developing the cyanotype and exposing the cyanotype happens all at once, it, the chemicals get a bit funky. So um, they kind of go a bit orange and some of the, I think it's the, probably the iron and it starts to kind of develop in kind of strange ways. So yeah, the chemistry is a bit askew because it doesn't kind of follow that linear process. But that was kind of interesting because the glacier is kind of active in recording itself. So as it's kind of melting, it's developing itself and it's kind of almost that talks to that length of time that it was exposed for. So what kind of exposure times were you using? Yeah, like 20 to 30 minutes usually. Yeah, you can just kind of waiting for that and you get really excited and you'd see details kind of coming up and I'm sure anyone who works with cyanotypes in this way um, yeah, you're just like, oh, that's going to be an amazing piece of detail there. And then, but as it kind of got wet and developed, it those things would kind of fade away. So they actually kind of change really dramatically over that period of time as well. 
And so your dad was there with you. Is he an artist? Did he know about cyanotype? What was that like? No, he's just like uh, a really keen tramper. Yeah, he just loves being outdoors. And I know that my parents have been very supportive of my practice. And so we actually did the trip in their uh, motorhome. And so we stayed together um, in the motorhome. And when we went to Fox, my mum actually came came with us as well. So we really needed the extra hands. I don't think I would have been able to do it. And it's kind of helpful when it's your family and you can maybe boss them around a little bit and they don't get too upset. <laughs> and you can buy them a beer afterwards and apologize. And I think they have a sense of ownership of it as well. I grew up on a farm, so they're farmers. And yeah, I just think it was all my projects, they've been they're very generous with their, their time and it was just such a lovely experience to do with them and for them to kind of see how the work was made and to be a part of that as well. So just so I can make a visual, so like you liked to get the piece of fabric so it was flat, was it? And then you wanted to get ice over the fabric? Yeah, that's probably how I probably imagined it at the start. There were like there's opportunities like where yeah like I was saying like when the the, the ice um, like the water's kind of eaten away at the bottom of the ice and so it has this kind of overhang and those were like were excellent spots for it. Others we kind of put near kind of waterfalls that were happening or uh, kind of draped them in connection with like ice bridges. So yeah, it was kind of. There's probably no set kind of rule to them. It just like when we saw something that was um, kind of an interesting feature and just trying to work out how we would do this and then just trying to press the cyanotype sheet as much as we could up towards it. You've done other ice as well in more in urban settings. So yeah, Icefield, that project was really about kind of bringing the cyanotypes to to the ice and then negative mass yeah, was kind of the opposite of that, of bringing the ice to the cyanotypes in a kind of public setting. Can you compare those two? In some ways, yeah, it's, it's still the same ideas. I think it's just about the negative mass work. It's more kind of maybe more of a conversation piece. So it was, it was huge. It was, I think the lengths of fabric were 12 meters and we had five of them. We did swap out a few as we were as we were kind of working through through, and they were there for three days. So that yeah, the, I can think like it's almost similar to some of the experiments that I did at, at home before I went to do Icefield at negative mass when it was on in the Brudermark kind of square. After it was dried, it was hung, and I think that was just it was for me because I didn't actually get to see it being hung up because they actually had to get people to do that that had to get on the dollies and stuff but seeing it actually a week later because that in that space it's kind of a wind tunnel and someone sent me a video of it and all, they, all that material kind of collected up and I thought oh it's going to tangle and they've spent so much time and effort putting it up and it's just going to be a tangled kind of mess but it was really interesting as I kind of the wind died down it just kind of folded back into its hangs so they didn't, you didn't get tangled or, and it just kind of, when you're, because it's almost like a giant light box because 
it's got it's an atrium all that kind of beautiful sunlight comes down and it really penetrates through the cyanotype so you've got to see some of those amazing kind of details so yeah i just really liked how it kind of responded to its environments so it's kind of just like it was when it was out in in the square and the cyanotype was changing because of the weather really liked how that kind of continued when it was in its kind of next maturation um, but just at really large scale and yeah where they were out there for three days so that meant that we were out there for three days and again my parents were there supporting me yeah and just we just had some really interesting conversations with people people would walk, walk by and be like what is this and you could say oh this is a piece of art and they'd be like okay well that's enough for me and then kind of wander on and then people would okay what's actually happening and then so we could talk about like the photographic process that was happening uh and then the, the kind of third kind of step maybe to that kind of level of communication is what does it actually represent and that's when things got really interesting and you'd actually spend quite a lot of time just talking to people and what they what they thought about climate change and even like their fears and anxieties and yeah how they were kind of responding to it those conversations whether it be with your dad and the guide on the glacier and your mom or just people that um, are walking by did you think about those type of conversations um, when you were conceptualizing these two projects uh not so much maybe I didn't really no I think you get so focused on the art making that you maybe don't even think about that kind of, I don't know, maybe what's actually going to happen when you're on there. Because it says, especially these projects, there's so much prep. Yeah, so it's almost like you have to get so much done. And then once you're there, it's kind of will just unfold. But yeah, that's something that I really, especially in negative mass, I really enjoyed just being, because once we kind of set it, up, set it up, all the stress was gone. The ice was on the cyanotypes. And we really didn't have to do much more than that, just hang out and talk to people. And that was, yeah, really enjoyable. Um, and just to spend time watching it, seeing it change. When when the weather would change, it would, um, like the sun would come out or it rained, it would change quite dramatically. So that was really interesting to watch and to see people's reaction as well. And I think it was just such a, strange thing to have ice in such a public forum and people just kind of really excited to see the changes in it and to see how clear it was and just yeah to see this strange material and then to see the developing image and how it was kind of interacting with that when i started my one of my previous projects it was really a site-based work and i was really interested in how uh, photography could maybe be a little bit more site specific and even more so that it, the actual making could happen in the landscape itself. I ended up applying for a competition to go to, um, was it? the glaciers of the Himalayas is kind of like to follow some scientists around and I didn't get it, but in that kind of process of writing the proposal for it, I came up with the ice field work of, and they probably just wanted someone to go around and take photos and do nice things. But um, 
yeah, that project kind of um, blossomed out of that. And I really didn't, it just started nagging at me. I just really couldn't get it out of my mind. And when I was thinking about climate change and kind of at that time, there were all these, I don't know, we're still kind of overwhelmed by all the kind of the different kind of modeling and different uh, statistics coming out and that keeps changing. And I really wanted to kind of ground it in something that was real. And so actually going to these landscapes that are actually significantly changing was really important to me to kind of, I don't know, ground myself in what was happening as well. And yeah, so I think that this, that kind of, what was really important for me because not everyone gets to go to a glacier, um, especially in New Zealand, they're kind of removed from our everyday experience, they're kind of hidden away. They take a lot of time to travel to them. Now you actually have to fly onto them. Um, they receded so much and they're not safe to walk onto. So I really wanted to kind of simulate that for my audience, that kind of aspect of touch. And that's where the, the photogram process coupled with the cyanotype process where you actually have your physical photographic material and it's through that touching that material to the actual thing that, that, that and then through that reaction that that leaves a trace of that, that object onto the cyanotype. And I just thought that was a really nice connection that the glaciers actually touch this piece of fabric and then that would be visible to the audience. Yeah, so it was, it was all kind of around that idea of, of touch that I really wanted to resolve in my mind. Like how can we actually photographically touch a glacier? And I think that's the, the good thing about the cyanotype process is it can be scaled up pretty easily. A lot of other kind of photographic processes like if you're working with paper or they're, they're really expensive, but cyanotype is relatively cost effective and I just yeah I think that's that kind of wraparound kind of process of when it's touching the touching the ice the ice is melting it's affecting the whole chemistry so that created a very interesting relationship as well. Have you always paired your work with traditional photographs? Yeah that was a second kind of iteration of that show. And that was kind of the really lovely thing. And Ashburnham was much, a much larger show. And so things felt a little bit more separated. There just wasn't that opportunity to do that. It was kind of big, bigger kind of series. So yeah, it was, that was a really kind of cool opportunity to experiment with how they kind of read together. And I really liked, yeah, in some ways, the pairing them off when you've got, yeah, that really kind of black and white photograph, but all about light and how it's shining on the ice and the interaction of that. And then the cyanotype is kind of the same thing, but it's just kind of displayed in a different way. So I really, yeah, I really liked how they came together and they're just kind of picking them and seeing how they kind of supported each other or juxtaposed each other that was kind of an interesting um way to go about it as well yeah it just seemed that like they connected through that kind of play of light i thought was really important but yeah i almost felt like we're kind of staging the exhibition like there's kind of this 
you walk in and you see like the cave one and you kind of enter through this big kind of cyanotype cave and then you kind of amongst the ice. So I really liked how that even though the images were kind of small, they were kind of like key kind of points to kind of place you in that environment. But then the cyanotypes, because of the scale, I really felt like um, that you kind of amongst the ice, you know, like that you're really, it has the same kind of feeling of when are standing in an ice cave and you're kind of looking up and there's all these kind of beautiful reflections and seeing the blues and yeah, the kind of the details in the ice. And it's just that that kind of scale is kind of unfathomable. And some of the cyanotypes, because there is no link to scale, you don't really know what they've touched or how big they were or what interaction they just, it could be an aerial shot almost of like a landscape because of the detailing and it really kind of expands the series out. I'm definitely interested, like that. Even the the series has kind of not just looking at parts of the glacier. It's kind of expanded to kind of encompass the whole kind of body of the glacier. So where it kind of starts at the the neve. So when you kind of get the soft snow that's compacted, and then kind of the body of the glacier and its parts, and that's kind of what ice feels about. And then yeah, I've kind of started to kind of photographically survey some like the mooring walls and especially in Tasman um, focusing on the water and like the silt and yeah just kind of all these kind of key things that kind of make up the huge landscape so how can I come up with kind of different kind of photographic strategies that make them different from what like you'd see a scientist photograph them that kind of whole kind of that single shot of the, the glacier I'm not really interested in, but how can I break up it up to like this little part? So I've already started, um, I think it was last year, maybe the year before now, time's a little bit funny, but the um, a contact series. So at Tasman, where the has a huge kind of contact lake. So the glacier used to finish um, in the 1970s used to finish at the, the front of that lake but now it's receded so much and so this lake has a kind of twofold kind of process of because it remains pretty cold it kind of actually slows down the glaciers kind of retreat by actually hides a portion of the glacier under its surface but yeah so I'm really interested in that so there's definitely things that I want to do with that but I've, yeah I've kind of made I'm trying to say is I kind of made some, I've made photograms at that, that edge of that contact lake um, interacting with the water. And so, yeah, it kind of speaks to where it used to be in the 1970s. And it's kind of interesting even because they're kind of draped on rocks or put along the shoreline, those, that kind of fractal qualities of the ice was still kind of present in those images. I felt that, yeah, I just, thought that was kind of really interesting kind of linking back to the glacier itself where it used to be i kind of interested in different kind of photographic technology so i wouldn't say that cyanotypes is something i'll probably do forever but i think at the moment it feels very appropriate and yeah it's just kind of another kind of photographic methodology and in my tool belt that yeah i always get excited about kind of learning new things learning about new landscapes learning about kind of new kind of scientific theories and things are 
and also you have different kind of photographic technology. So where those kind of three things kind of come together, that's kind of where my practice leads me. What is your process for coating the fabric that you're using? I just buy, it's kind of a straight linen by the, like the meter. So usually I think for Icefield, I bought like 120 meters worth, cut it up, sew the edges so they didn't fray, and then just kind of rinse them in water in the, in the washing machine. That was kind of, I didn't do that once um, when I was testing. And I think because they maybe go through such a harsh kind of process um, chemically that, that I got spots on the, the cyanotype. So they must have some kind of residual kind of chemical. So yeah, that's pretty important. And then when we're coating them, I buy the, the raw kind of chemicals. So you mix them up kind of the day before and let them to kind of brew brew overnight and then we kind of just got all the sheets that we want encoded and we kind of laid them on top of each other because the one bad thing about using material is very um it soaks up a lot of liquid like some people might even think that you could dunk them but you go through so much liquid so quickly um yes it wouldn't be cost effective so kind of laying them down and so you'd we just with brushes coat um, paint on the liquid as freely as kind of possible but knowing that it would drip down to the other ones and then pull that one out and you kind of try and screw as much liquid out as possible because if it's yeah because that's just excess so quite physical like by the end of it had like quite sore arms because they're really quite long like almost like 2.2 meters and so then that liquid would drip into a kind of a tray and then we kind of use that on the next ones and then making sure that yeah and then just go by layer by layer and so that we kind of weren't wasting any liquid and trying to screw as much out as possible because as they just take forever to dry and then for ice field and, and negative masses as well having like big industrial sized uh, dehumidifiers or heaters or fans or whatever we could kind of get our hands on to kind of speed up the process of drying or <laughs> an ice field yeah so we we're actually i don't know why i thought this was a good idea but uh, yeah i wanted to do it all on site so i wanted to make sure that the chemistry was really as fresh as i could make it and so <laughs> the night before uh, we were at Tasman, we actually did it in this really small um, ski hut. That was uh, the guides, yeah, in winter that they'd put all their gear in. But it was relatively empty. But yeah, it was insane. This tiny little box and me my, me and my parents are trying to paint on these cameras, getting it every, like all over ourselves and then trying to hang it up and then trying to get it dry and at Mount Cook because it's really cold there overnight. It just, it was, they weren't drying. So having that kind of pressure because the next day we were flying out. So to go on the glacier, it was all a little bit extreme, but the, the weather ended up turning bad. So we had to delay a little bit. So it all kind of worked out. And then we were in Fox, we were, able to use um, the toilets, uh, a toilet box that was being built. And so we just kind of lined it, covered up the windows and 
it was kind of really great. It was perfect. It was quite big as well. So we actually got a lot done in there. It was really quite easy. And then for negative mass, that was my brother's garage, pimping out his garage, covering up all the windows. It was kind of a little bit leaky. Of, well, it had lots of light leaks, so lots of tape and big industrial kind of dehumidifier to try and suck out the rest of the, well, to try them off. And yeah, lots of lots of heaters. And yeah, and trying to do it at night so that if there were any light leaks, yeah, it wouldn't affect them so much. And you just use brushes, big brushes. Yeah, just like really cheap, um, like from my to 10, like plastic brushes. So they're quite good to be, you can clean them pretty easily and they don't have any kind of residual liquid on them. But yeah, they're, they're pretty massive. Yeah, it's, yeah, it seems like kind of bonkers now because the exposure times are so long anyway and the interactions are so different it probably didn't matter that to have the chemistry so fresh but I know that now you know it's not kind of well, it's the same as having kind of a a traditional kind of sanotype where you yeah you really want to go from to get the good amount of contrast go coat it and then shorten that period of time before you expose it How did you transport the fabric? Like what did, did you use like a light proof, you know, was it a rubbish bag or did you have a special container that you took them with you in? I probably, yeah, again, I probably overthought this. I made, my mom actually made me like these big black line sacks that were just made out of cotton. I was a little bit, anxious that if I put them because we would did it in summer and I just thought maybe the humidity would start to affect um like if there was any water in there and especially when it was a plastic sack that they might start to sweat a bit um so you um, made me these really kind of thick um black sacks that I then put them in and yeah they work really well and then when coming so then flew those onto the glacier, did our business. Um, we tried to wash them as much as we could there. So actually on the glacier itself, which is, um, yeah, I've never had such cold hands and that was, but just to kind of keep it as fresh as possible. And we did have to end up coming back and rinsing out a little bit, but um, yeah, and then they were taken off the glacier and big kind of just rubbish bags and then washed out and then yeah then trying to find somewhere to dry them as well was a a little bit of a nightmare but we ended up just putting them in like a normal dryer it worked pretty well really as when we did negative mass the, the kind of drying process because after day three, we decided like the ice wouldn't, wouldn't be there the next morning. So we decided to pull it all up at maybe like six o'clock in the evening, wrapped it all up. And during that day, the, we're just trying to find a sink that was big enough to wash them in. And it'd been suggested that we go and use like a community center that had a really big sink. And so we went there and it was completely filled with, it's like a painter's sink. So it was, it was too grubby to put my cyanotypes in. So we ended up actually going down to like round the, by the kind of um, Auckland Harbour Bridge and there was a little kind of marina there. And I actually 
sat there and uh, dunked them in the seawater with my legs because I couldn't, there's no way that my arms were strong enough to do these 12 meter long uh, pieces of fabric. And everyone knows that you shouldn't, salt is not good for cyanotypes or preserving things archivally. So we then came back and we had an Airbnb and we just put them in the washing machine and we tested it on a little, yeah, little scrap piece that I had, put it in the washing machine and just did like the last rinse uh, with no, obviously no soap or anything. And they turned out fine. So yeah, we actually just washed them in the washing machine to get rid of that excess salt and, and then put them in the dryer. And that's the, yeah, it's just about doing washing at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but a, a bit of a stress kind of risk as well, because if there was kind of any soap or anything, that would have kind of ruined them. But yeah, all kind of worked out. Because yeah, just because you, you kind of get to the. You, I think I was very careful about kind of get excited by all the mechanics of like, I don't know, either like helicoptering on the ice, getting all those kind of things organized, and then being on the glacier that's quite well organized and then you kind of get to the end and you're like wow what do I do now with these things you know I still got to finish off the process and that's something that maybe I wasn't very good at so it's definitely something I think about yeah so you really need to that would be my advice for anyone to really think about the the follow-through <laughs> don't do what I do I think the adventure of what you do, like the scope of your ideas, and I think that's something that, you know, I would definitely encourage people, especially around issues-based art. I know that's kind of a, not a great term, but, you know, when you have, a, there's an intention or a message, um, being bold and like what you've done, especially when you've got people supporting you you know and like a team it's quite awesome yeah it's been a yeah really kind of special project to work on and it's got is a cyanotype it's got a lot of like different little side series to it as well so yeah it's kind of been all-encompassing for like the last five years but yeah it's been great to, it's I've had so many different conversations like like with the guides, with scientists, um, with the public. Yeah, and I think they're just kind of really, if anything else, they're just like good conversation starters, you know, like the fact that they've touched a glacier and people can kind of talk about their own experiences of a glacier or being in those spaces or kind of imagining those spaces and then kind of their concerns or anxieties about climate change I think they're, they're pretty good at just allowing people to have a chat about that and has it gone beyond New Zealand for you have you had these conversations with people outside of New Zealand yeah I've been I presented um at the environmental I have to look it up maybe I'll have to send that to you but um we have a collaborative kind of group that's between Mass University, um, Plymouth University, and a university in Sweden. And so, yeah, I've presented just over Zoom about kind of negative mass and ice, the ice field work as well. So 
yeah, I'm hoping now it might get a bit more, get a bit more legs overseas. That would be really cool. Cyanotype is just so portable. Yeah, I really love like the, the amazing things about working with the fabric as well is that you can just, as a photographer, you know, like you're so careful with your prints. You, if it's a final print, you'll get out your white gloves and you'll make sure that you've got a safe space to put it and you've kind of, it's kind of a, a bit of a task. And, um, but with cyanotypes, I've, I can, can, you can just whip them out, you know, and you can treat them like a piece of fabric. And yeah, it makes it really, I'm get quite excited about the, the physical kind of attributes of it. So like when they're hanging, like they move um, as you kind of walk past them and they kind of have a fragility to them. So I really enjoy that, but they're just really lovely to work with and to store. And it's, it's all very easy, like you say, to kind of package and send away. So it makes that whole process really easy. I don't think like I would never get out my prints as much as I get out my cyanotypes. Yeah, so as an artist, you know, like, and as a photographer, so much of our process can be on the screen and definitely like I, I do a lot of research. And so I feel like it's really nice then to work with something that's physical and to pull out these things and to examine the details and to kind of reflect on them. And yeah, and even to make a new cyanotype. The, yeah, I just love that it's, it's physical and it gets you out. For me, it gets me out of my kind of computer world into somewhere that is just so different from where we live. Who do you look to 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 feed your work, other artists? I've got one. I'm really I really enjoy um, uh, English artist Tessa Dean. She's one of my favorite um, artists. She's doesn't really do too much around photography, but she's, I don't know. I just think she's very poetic and she's really interesting thinking about like chance and yeah, and very kind of multidisciplinary. You may have known her work because she does, does really what kind of made her famous is beautiful big chalk drawings um, of, of kind of gigantic kind of landscapes. I really love uh, the New Zealand photographer Joyce Campbell's work. Yeah, kind of similar in some ways, like really thinking about landscape and like the unseen and not only kind of that layer of climate change, but kind of cultural knowledge and the poetics of, of landscape as well. Yeah, and just she uses kind of the materiality of her works really is really important as well. And I really appreciate that about her work. Thank you for listening to Cyanotopia. Please remember that links to references mentioned by the artists, other artists, books, websites are all listed in the show notes. I'm always open to feedback and I'm always looking for people to offer introductions to this podcast. So please go to the show notes and get in touch. And I'm wishing you sunshine wherever you are. <laughs>